0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Sports Show here on 102.9 CRCFM. Now it's time to turn our attention towards continental football as next Tuesday and Wednesday sees the Champions League return for its round of 16 knockout ties. Well, to preview the host of games, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Gold.com's Head of News and Features and a Castlebar native, Peter Staunton. Peter, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Cuivene. I suppose football is an inescapable part of our lives these days. It's kind of keeping us by those sports fans throughout these bleak evenings. But it is going to be something different seeing the return of the Champions League. It's always quite a a hotly awaited this round of 16 tide to see how the teams have developed throughout the year and perhaps maybe see some surprise dark horses. If we can begin with Tuesday's fixtures, seeing Red Bull Leipzig, or RB Leipzig, my apologies, uh, playing Liverpool and Barcelona playing PSG. If we can begin with Liverpool and Leipzig in that tie. They, of course, surprised a lot of people last season in last season's Champions League by making it to the semi-finals. Do you think that they can cause another upset in the Champions League and defeat Jurgen Klopp's side?
1: Well, Quivin, would you regard it as an upset at this stage if Leipzig beat Liverpool based on the form that Liverpool have been on over the last few weeks? I'm not sure I would.
0: That's actually, yeah, that's quite a fair point. And it does come kind of come into how Liverpool have been playing at the moment. They don't seem to have any kind of cover centre-back. Look, looking at Fabinho and Henderson still seems to be the favoured decision of Klopp. Does the fact that Kabak, who came in from Schalke, Ben Davies from Preston, was Jurgen Klopp looking at the cup-tied players throughout Europe and saying, well... If I have to buy a centre-half, I have to get one that isn't cup-tied and can actually feature in this game against Leipzig.
1: I think uh, the the primary factor for for Liverpool's chase for a centre-back throughout January was finding one that was cheap enough that they could get through the door, and, and then that would meet the approval uh, of the financial people above them at, at FSG, it's a well-known fact that Liverpool have suffered quite a lot uh, due to the um, the economic downturn caused by the, the COVID pandemic. So there isn't any money there, really. Whatever money they had to spend, they spent over the summer bringing Thiago into the club. But a lot of the finances that Liverpool have already uh, are channeled into keeping the contracts, those big, big contracts for the likes of Van Dijk, Salah, Mane... Uh, those massive earners. And you'll you'll notice with Liverpool, they don't necessarily have a massive squad. You know, beyond the first 11, there isn't really an awful lot. Um, it's quite hollow. Um, and, you know, that's because they're, they don't have the sort of global reach of a Real Madrid or a Man United or a Barcelona or even a Bayern Munich uh, at this stage. So they're operating not quite at an optimal level of finance, but certainly at an optimal level uh, in terms of the quality of their first 11. So when it comes to bulking out the squad... Sadly, for Liverpool, they're not in a position that can go and spend 40, 50 million. You know, they've been linked to an Upa Meccano, who, who plays for RB Leipzig. But they're not going to be able to sign a player like that um, with any sort of emergency cash because the cash just isn't there. That's why they brought Kovac in uh, on a loan deal, I think 1.5 million and about the same for, for Ben Davis. Now, for me, I think the best thing to do would be to blood those guys and make sure that they get the game time they need. Because once, as you mentioned with Fabinho and Henderson, once those guys move from midfield into defence, I think Liverpool, they lose too much uh, from what their game is naturally about. I think it begins and ends with, with the quality uh, of, of their midfield engine room.
0: Yeah, there'll be music to the ears of those supporting Leipzig looking ahead to um, what they will have on offer. They've managed to bring in the young Hungarian winger Dominic Sobosly. A lot of talk is surrounding him at the moment. He was also linked with Arsenal during the January transfer window, but made the, I suppose, the intra-family trip from Salzburg, part of the Red Bull group, over to Leipzig. Uh, Will he be able to feature and what can we kind of expect from the rest of this Leipzig team? A lot of kind of transfer market uh, big names like Deo Opamecano, as well, as you mentioned. They do seem to kind of catch the attention of managers and journalists as well when talking about where the next best prospects will come from.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the Red Bull group, uh, as you mentioned there, um, you know, I think they've got... Probably they've got it down to a fine art, that production of of, of young talent, uh, whether that's produced, um, you know, within Austria or within Germany itself or whether they buy these guys young. We see them especially going to France for their young talent as well. Get them young, train them up and then sell them on. I think, like I said, I think they've got it down to a fine art. They're, they do it better than, than any other group in Europe. And you can see the sort of the next generation um, emerging uh, at this stage as well in terms of the players that they have. They've got Lazar Samerzic who they brought in from Hertha Berlin. And as you mentioned um of course uh, dominic soboslai who's who's one of the most highly regarded uh, young players in the world um if you go back to last season as well you know we mentioned the likes of ibrahima konate we have mentioned uh, Opa mcano and also at left back as well i think who's been a revelation probably one of the best left backs in europe this season has been Angel- angelino uh, who was deemed not good enough really for pep guardiola at man city uh, let him go to to red bull to orbi leipzig should i say um while man city still struggle um for for a proper for a proper left back you know to try Zinchenko there they tried Mendy there. They tried Cancelo there. But I don't think any of those guys has been, has been as good as Angelino has been for, for Julian Nagelsmann.
0: Yeah, he's had quite a remarkable record of goal scoring from left back.
1: The, I suppose the way that he plays it, it, at, at Leipzig, it suits his his, uh, his game perfectly. I mean, uh, Nagelsmann is the type of coach he can move between three at the back, four at the back. And when they go three at the back, he plays much higher up the pitch uh, on the left. And he tends to overlap the, the left-sided winger. Um, gets crosses into the box and scores goals as well But he's been a fantastic signing for them And um, yeah, I think he's he's really come into his own u- Under Nagelsmann and, and that's probably why Nagelsmann is regarded As, as one of the best up-and-coming coaches uh, In the European game Getting the best out of those kind of players it's
0: going to be a tantalising prospect Him up against Mohamed Salah It'll be interesting to see how the defensive duties Of that Liverpool front three Will be tested by a very marauding Leipzig side
1: Yeah, I mean You know, I, I think the the front the front three um, at Liverpool, when it comes to working the other way, they, they don't get this. They don't really get the same, um, I suppose, effectiveness uh, from Mane and Salah in a defensive capacity than they do in attacking capacity. But that's not what they're in the team for, you know. The reason why Robertson and and, and Trent Alexander Arnold have had so much success at Liverpool is because you know they they do tend to pick up the slack uh, for those guys. They they let those they let Mane and Salah hang. Uh, up front and then uh, the midfielders in particular as we mentioned Fabinho and Henderson when they play in there they get across they shuffle across so so well to cover those fullback areas when 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 um, Robertson and when Trent Alexander-Arnold are upfield as well so it's less you know the demands the defensive demands on your Salah and your Mane they're not as great as they could be for other wide players you can imagine if these two played under Jose Mourinho for example they'd be tracking their opposition fullback all the way back uh, to the fullback slots, but that doesn't happen at Liverpool. They kind of have a little bit of license to hang further forward.
0: So, how do you think that game will go itself? It's the first round, is the home fixture for Orby Leipzig, but of course, uh, I think a lot of the games have been changed for their venues to random cities around Europe. I see Budapest, Bucharest are being used as well uh, as Rome. Also, is that going to have a major influence? You know, this behind closed doors way that we're viewing football. Is it hard to kind of read into anything about being home and away anymore, apart from, of course, the the extra goal that you get?
1: Well, first of all, I'd say UEFA have done incredibly well uh, to get these games on. Uh, whatever people think about the politics of, of elite sportsmen continuing to you know, be able to earn a living while 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 the rest of us are, are kind of you know confined to our homes. But you know, you mentioned at the top of the uh, top of the segment that you know it kind of gives people something to aim for in the week. You know, we can watch the Liverpool game, we can watch the Chelsea game, whatever the case may be. So you know, I can understand from that perspective why why people want to want to see football continue. But yeah, it's been very very difficult. You know, lots of different countries around Europe have different travel restrictions, and and just the fact that UEFA have managed to get these games on, I think, is um is is a major credit to them. Look, I don't think the players will have any problem. adapting to the, to the conditions. They've been playing without fans in their own stadiums for for a year. I know in Germany they had a, they had some uh, Liverpool as well. They, had, they they had a few fans for you know a handful of fixtures around the Christmas period, just before the Christmas period. Um, but when it comes to going to empty stadiums and and, and facing you know uh, an opposition with with no fans behind you, I don't think that really makes a difference to them at this stage. Um, you know they're almost a year into the pandemic at this stage, so I don't think it really makes that much of a difference.
0: Moving on to Tuesday's other fixture, it's Barcelona versus PSG. uh, Headline one of any round of the Champions League, no more so than in the round of 16. Of course, it's uh, a repeat of the fixture in 2016 when the phenomenal comeback happened under Luis Enrique. Uh, Of course, Barcelona didn't go on to win the Champions League that year. That was the last time Barcelona have actually had a, a really successful night in the UEFA Champions League knockout stages. And it's been quite a barren spell of disappointment in Europe for them since.
1: Yeah, Barcelona are in it. They're in, they're in chaos. They're in a mess. They're in meltdown. Um, and, you know, if you look at the states of their finances as well, they would be, you know, they'd be lucky not to... Not to suffer more catastrophic losses this year and 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 have to sell players, you know whether that's going to be Frankie de Jong or Ansu Fati or Marc Andre Ter Stegen. To be honest, there aren't a lot of sellable assets around Barcelona at the moment. But certainly the finances don't make for pretty reading if you're a Barcelona fan, and things are going to get much worse before they're going to get better. Um, you know, a part of the disappointment. Um, well, should I say, a part of Lionel Messi's desire to get out of Barcelona have been the disappointments within the Champions League. And you can see, you know, when they're losing to Liverpool, losing to Roma, and those losing to Bayern, taking eight off Bayern last season, you know, Messi's disillusioned with how things have gone at Barcelona. You know, he's looking around and he just doesn't see the same quality of players that he had when they won the Champions League in 2015. And, you know, when they did the won six trophies in 2009, won the treble, I think, in 2015 as well. So, it's just not the same club uh, at the moment, and I know that there'll always be the lustre, there'll always be the draw for players to go to Barcelona. But right now, and you know, as we saw with Eric Garcia in the January transfer window, you know they all made that insulting offer to him, which was come and play for us for free uh, for the yeah. next six months, and then um, you know we'll sign you properly in the summer. It it tells you just how bad things uh, have gotten for Barca around there. Uh, I don't expect them to progress from this game. That's despite the loss of Neymar for PSG, which I'm sure we'll get on to. Uh, but I just don't think they have the quality. This season's results have been so mixed bag, even in the league, in the Copa del Rey, in the Champions League itself. Uh, Fati is injured too. I, I just don't believe in this Barcelona team under Koeman whatsoever.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of worries around the defensive aspect of Barcelona's game. Uh, They have seemed to have had something more of a promising attack in recent times And a midfield Frankie de Jong seems to have stepped up to the player that he was at Ajax If not better Looking at Pedri as well seems to be a phenomenon Who's just kind of burst onto the scene this season for Barcelona Is there something of a potential for Messi maybe to see in this team The potential that they could, maybe not this year But certainly next year, go on to win the Champions League
1: well it, it just depends whether he's got uh, you know another deal secured I know France football they, they really um got under the skin of, of the Barcelona press and, and actually under the skin of of, of the Barcelona uh, board as well when when they they mocked up a, a picture of Messi wearing a PSG kit uh, on the front of France football I think it was last week um it, I think Messi's gone. I think mentally he's checked out of Barcelona at this stage. They're going to have to fight very, very hard uh, to have any chance of keeping him. And even as we mentioned their uh, their finances earlier on, I don't think they can do it. I don't think they can outlay another four-year contract worth a half a billion euros uh, for Lionel Messi. It's just impossible in the financial situation that they're in. So I, I do actually think we'll reach a stage where we're saying goodbye to Lionel Messi at the end of the season, come what may. Now, you look at the players that are coming underneath that, I would say Ansu Fati and Pedri, as you mentioned, are probably the the two... They'll probably end up carrying the hopes of this Barcelona team through the next decade, whatever hopes they may be, whether they're a Europa League team, whether they're a Champions League team. Look, we'll see in the fullness of time. But Pedri, I mean, that kid's come in from Las Palmas and he's done absolute wonders. And you think of the pressure that he's had to come in and perform under, considering the state of the Barcelona squad, the state of their results. And it's just water off a duck's back. You know, goals, assists. Um, and you can see that he, he is... He's not as good as Messi, and he never will be. But you can you can see how Messi appreciates that he's on the level, uh, at least. And Zufati so is one that I'd be worried about, because although he's come in and done really, really well, he's had a couple of surgeries now and a few injuries. Mm. And i just worry that that might affect the explosiveness that's, that was in his game when he first broke through. Um, I think he's 18 years old. Um, so you'd hate to see a player of such immense potential cut down and lose that explosiveness that, is, that has carried him so far in his career so far.
0: Yeah, he's a huge loss for Barcelona as well. You mentioned Neymar for PSG. Barcelona are also going to be without defensive cover. Gerard Piquet is, of course, out with a long-term injury. He's not expected to return. Ronald Araujo, who is a a new Uruguayan centre-half, another one of these players who's emerged on the scene just this season, and he's really shone under Ronald Koeman. Looks to be a very uh, solid defender. Hasn't had many players dribble past him this season. Mm. But of course, of course, he's going to be unavailable for the first leg of the tie on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look through their their lineups this season, Barcelona, they've had real, real trouble uh, since Pique's injury. You know, we've seen even see Samuel Umtiti come back into the squad in recent weeks, too. Uh, they have a homegrown player, Minguetza, in there as well, playing centre-back. Um you know, I don't think Kuhlman's been able to get any sort of partnerships uh, going within that central defensive area. And that's led them to to concede goals that shouldn't be conceding really, for a club like Barcelona. You know, they were beaten, um, I think it was on Wednesday night, beaten 2 0, quite handily beaten by Sofia in the Copa del Rey as well. And once upon a time, you would look at these matches and think, well, you know, Barcelona over two legs against the Sofia, of course they're going to come through it. But they just don't have that same solidity uh, within the squad. Um, and I know we mentioned. Um, a centre-back was a priority for the January transfer window. But, you know, the everything in Barcelona is political. So they were in a situation where uh, the elections were supposed to go ahead and the new president um, would then bring in his favourite signings. But those elections have been put back, which means that the, the sort of temporary board or, the, or temporary solutions right now at Barcelona don't want to commit any money out on transfer fees or on wages that another president you know, is not going to agree to by the time he takes over. So that's what happened with the Eric Garcia deal. So, as well as Minguetza and Araujo are doing for Barcelona uh, in their game time that they're getting, they're not seen as the long-term solutions for Barcelona. They definitely need a centre-back in there. But, as we mentioned, they're right at their limits financially. So whether that means that Dembele or Griezmann needs to move on before they can get a high-quality centre-back through the door, again, we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think even Philippe Coutinho is still there. He's also ruled out a long-term injury. So it has been kind of a I suppose the story of many of the top level clubs in Europe this year that uh, playing games twice a week is going to lead to increased injuries uh, is just kind of an occupational hazard now that we're all quite aware of as Jurgen Klopp has, has told every uh, pitchside reporter after a disappointing loss yeah. uh,
1: Well, we, that... just have to look at, we just have to look at PSG on that regard um, You know, they played Cannes in the in the Coupe de France during the week and Cannes are, I think, mid-table in League 2 and there's no way that Neymar should be really playing in a game like that. Um, all, and he goes in, he gets a bad challenge and, he, and, he's, and he's gone for another four weeks. And that could that could potentially derail their entire season. They've got some typical games coming up in League 1. And, and they've obviously got two legs against Barcelona to negotiate now without him. And if you look at the... I know people like to complain about Neymar, his behaviour, his diving and whatnot. But if you look at his form... When he's actually on the field for PSG, he's absolutely phenomenal. I think he's contributing a goal, something like a goal or an assist once per hour uh, over the course of this season for PSG. It's been absolutely remarkable, uh, the football that he's been playing for this season. And the fact that they're without him, and Angel Di Maria, who was injured already, means that an awful lot of the hope for this game is going to be lying on the shoulders of, of Kylian Mbappe. And, you know, if you're watching the French football this season as well, Mbappe has just not been the same player whatsoever. Um, you know he complained after the Champions League final that they were back at work within two weeks he said it feels like the six. I think it was after six or seven games of the season he said it feels like the 66th game of the season rather than the 6th game because it just didn't have a proper break I think he's in danger of suffering from burnout as well so whatever happens with, with, with PSG in the long term whether Neymar or, or Mbappe end up leaving the club who knows but right now the hope uh, for these, these two legs is going to lie with Mbappe and um, he's going to need to stand up to that pressure
0: yeah, it's a huge amount of expectation that's weighted upon his shoulders now. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino was there, of course, former Tottenham Hotspur and Southampton boss. How has he settled into life in Paris?
1: Well, they had a disappointing defeat um, a few weeks back. I think it was against Lorient, which, which you know, had, was the first one that had people raising their eyebrows, and the, the the fact that he picked Neymar, you know during the week against Cannes. It's gone down as his first big mistake. He's had some criticism uh, within the the media for that. You know, we didn't need to play Neymar. Why are we playing Neymar against a team like Cannes? We should be able to beat them without Neymar. As it was, he was the only player. He, I mean, he ended up making the assist for Oz Keane, uh, who scored the only goal of the game. So he's had a little bit of dissent over the last few weeks, but they're still only third in the league. I mean, Thomas Tuchel has come in and done quite well at Chelsea, but, you know, he didn't really leave... Uh, PSG in a in a in a very good state in terms of where they were in the league table. They're third. They're behind uh, Lille and Lyon. And crucially, Lyon don't they don't have to play in in any European football this year. So they're going to be a little bit fresher uh, for for the running compared to PSG. But you know, we spoke about Messi, the size of his contract at Barcelona, and and that gives them no wiggle room whatsoever to sign players because you know you're going to have players on five hundred million over four years, and then they're asking Eric Garcia to play for free. Well, it's something of the same situation that PSG have. You know. Although they've got, you know, as much money as they want from the Qatari owners, they still have to abide somehow by financial fair play regulations. And and that comes to wage regulations, too. So the money that they're paying out for Neymar and Mbappe means that sacrifices need to be made elsewhere in the squad. And you can see that players like Mosey Keane, Danino Pereira... You know, those guys, they're not really top-level European players. We saw with Chupo Moting playing in the Champions League final for them last year. So sacrifices um, do need to be made in order to accommodate the likes of Neymar and Mbappe. And Leonardo, who's a sporting director at PSG, I don't think he's got that balance right over the last 18 months or so. I don't think the squad is as complete as it should be uh, for a coach like Pochettino. You look at a PSG bench at the weekend, for example, and you think, wow, is that the PSG bench? You know, they're not very good beyond the first four or five decent players that they have on the field and that really comes to the fore once you have an injury to the likes of Neymar and Mbappe you know you 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 get exposed the the depth of your squad gets exposed and as you mentioned yourself Cuevin at the top of the segment about PSG you know um, playing twice a week pandemic football the rhythms that these guys have to go through uh, just to get on the field every week you know it does take its toll uh, and that's where I would worry about PSG.
0: Yeah, it seems to be kind of a similar story with Barcelona too. You're looking at their squad, and you're seeing Martin Braithwaite. He's gotten a phenomenal amount of minutes under Ronald Koeman, and he's had quite a handsome enough return of goals. But you're looking at a at a at a kind of dysfunctional setup where if you're spending you know this half hundreds of millions on on one player, and then you're having to kind of subsidise it with makeshift championship players, it doesn't really create a strong enough squad to go and challenge at the top level of the Champions League.
1: No, you're dead right. You're dead right, Quievin. I I think, you know, would you rather a squad of seven out of ten players or a squad of one ten out of ten player and the rest and three out of ten? And and a lot of a lot of teams within Europe, you know, we mentioned Liverpool as well. A lot of teams in Europe are struggling to have that balance at the moment. You know, you look at Bayern Munich. I think they're doing it quite well. They're still managing quite well. Man City, they're still managing it quite well. Uh, Chelsea, I think, have a very good uh, even spread of talent throughout the squad. But you know, you look elsewhere. You look at your Barcelona's, your Real Madrid's. Um, You know, you look at your Liverpools, PSG, I think those clubs are struggling to get that balance right.
0: Moving on to one side in Spain who have been really striking all the right notes. We talked about them briefly while we were chatting about Barcelona, but of course Sevilla and Julian Lopetegui, his side, bet Barcelona midweek in the Copa del Rey and they're looking to play Borussia Dortmund next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. That's a really mouth-watering tie. It's kind of a... An alternative enough game that you'd expect maybe latter stages of a Europa League or something like that. But seeing it here in the round of 16 in the Champions League is going to be fascinating because of the fact Dortmund are no longer really the smash and grab team that we had seen of the past. They seem to have lost a lot of their luster, but they still have Erling, Braut Haaland, and he is a phenomenon. How do you think that fixture is going to play out Sevilla and Dortmund, Peter?
1: Well, I think if Dortmund. Dortmund uh, you know, when they got rid of Lucien Favre, I think around Christmas period, um, they made the decision to go for the rest of the season with a caretaker coach, what I thought was was absolutely baffling. I would rather either leave the guy in there until the end of the season or bring someone in straight away. So I think, you know, I think you're at an immediate disadvantage there uh, because the players, you know, they, there's no real authority uh, for the new coach in the dressing room because they're thinking, well, he's going to get replaced at the end of the season anyway. And, you know, the effect that that's had uh, on Dortmund. I mean, they're, they're already talking about missing out on on the, on the uh, Champions League places uh, in the German League, which would be an absolute disaster. Um, you know, when it comes to trying to to keep these players around the club, you know, you mentioned Haaland, but it's not just him. It's Jaden Sancho, it's Jude Bellingham. Um, they've also got Giovanni Reina, who's just come in. Um, well, I suppose he came in maybe a year ago into the first team picture, but he's been a phenomenon uh, for them as well. Uh, but you can really see that the, the results, have, they're really struggling for results um, since they qualified um, for the, latter stages of the champions league you know i think they've only had one win maybe in the last since the middle of january or something i think they beat augsburg a couple of two or three weeks ago and that's the only time that, they, that they've had a win in the bundesliga so i i, I worry for dormant in this one it's not a case of them not having the, the sufficient talent because you know we mentioned sancho marco royce is still there too you know they they do have good players but i just i just think that this season is a write-off um for, for Dortmund I think it's seen as a write-off for for the club if they can somehow struggle their way back into the top four um, and qualify for the Champions League then I think they'll they'll regard that as a bit of a success for the season but the problem for that is if they don't qualify for the Champions League then what does that mean for the futures of your Sancho's and your Hallands? So there's already big talk about Haaland leaving in the summer Um, you know he's, he scores lots of goals and you know he's a champion in the making, so he's going to want to go to a club. He's going to be challenging and, and winning things. He doesn't want to be playing in the Europa League next season, that's for sure. And the same will go for Jaden Sancho. And for that reason, you know I think Sevilla they're not the prettiest team to watch. Um, mm. but I, I think they're you know they resist really really well. Um, you know the, I I just think they've got their act together. Um, if you look at them since Christmas as well, since the turn of the year, I think they've you know the results have been uh, pretty solid. Um, the loss to Atletico Madrid aside um, at the start of January but, but, and knocking Barcelona out of the cup I just think they've got that continuity uh, they're able to grind out results um, you know and, and I think they, I think for me they're the team they might be the outsiders for the entire competition but I think they'll go past Dortmund in, in this round
0: Yeah they look incredibly solid at the back as well they don't concede many goals they have the young French uh, centre-half Jules Kunde. Jules Cu- Cuunde, I believe it is Yeah, uh, he was. He scored against Barcelona as well during the, the Copa del Rey tie he's been uh, somewhat of a, of a sensation in La Liga a lot of Barcelona fans have been hoping they might dip into their cash reserves and try and sign him, I know there were clubs that were sniffing around last year, Manchester City and they thought 55 million euro would prize him away now it looks like it's going to be close to double that to get a player of his calibre uh, just in terms of their manager Julian Lopetegui Some listeners may remember him from his brief spell at Real Madrid just, uh, I believe, two years ago. He kind of deployed a really boring style of football. It's possession-based, but without the real uh, kind of razzmatazz that you'd see with the, the likes of Barcelona or Manchester City. Is that something that kind of benefits this pandemic football that we talk about, where you can just keep it tight at the back, Keep it solid, and as long as you have possession, you're not going to be tired running around the pitch.
1: I think, yeah, there's certain certainly a lot to be said for that. Uh, football has changed during the pandemic. Um, I know that Man City have got their got their act together recently, but you could see, especially for teams like them, uh, teams like Liverpool in the Premier League, the managers are, are they're having less time to spend on the training field with their players. Um, you know, and we've had some players in isolation as well, so they're missing days on the training ground whether they're ill or not. But they've had to isolate, and um, so. What it means is that a more fundamental approach can actually work. So that means that if you send your team out, like a Jose Mourinho team, Spurs were doing really well earlier on in the season. If you can send your team out, have them defend deep and hit on the break, that's less complicated than trying to construct these complicated attacking patterns that the likes of Antonio Conte, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Nagelsmann, these kind of guys, you know, that type of football might not necessarily uh, be suited to playing during a pandemic. So as simple as you can keep the instructions because you just don't have that same amount of time on the training field, as simple as you can keep the instructions, I think maybe you might get an advantage this year uh, as opposed to other years. And you can see that with Sevilla. You know, they're tied at the back. Uh, The partnership that they've established there at the back too, Koundé, as you mentioned, Diego uh, Carlos, who was a revelation for them last year, they were looking at getting big money for him in the summer as well. You know, that's sort of the bedrock. Um, And I suppose in Bono as well, uh, the Moroccan goalkeeper, um, I think they've got probably... You know, outside Jan Oblak they've got the best goalkeeper in Spain um, so it builds from there and then it's just a matter of getting the ball up front um, to um, another Moroccan up front who's El Nesseri, who scored some goals for them this season and um, Luke de Jong who chips in too uh, but you know don't expect them to to really outgun teams Sevilla uh, but I, I, I do think that they'll be favoured in this tie for me
0: yeah it's really going to be fascinating seeing the challenge of Haaland and Kunde two of the best up and coming players I suppose in European football battling it out in that tie on Wednesday. The final fixture we're going to preview Peter a uh, Porto versus Juventus. Cristiano Ronaldo of course returning to his homeland. It's is it going to be a kind of a the return of the prodigal son at Porto for him going back to Portugal with this Juventus side.
1: Well, I think the last time he played uh, in this stadium was when he, for for a club match in this stadium at least, um, was when he scored that goal for Man United, which was from a ridiculous um, uh, distance out. um, That was in the Estadio do do Dragao, although he's been back there playing for Portugal. Um, I saw him playing there for Portugal, actually, in the Nations League um, a couple of years ago. He scored a hat-trick against Switzerland. He's a phenomenal footballer. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Juventus, again, we talk about teams uh, improving since Christmas. Um, you know, I think when it comes to um, Andre Pirlo, there was a lot of question marks uh, about how his Juventus team uh, were setting up at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, they conceded a lot of ground uh, in the title race straight away to AC Milan to Inter. Um, they just didn't look like themselves. But uh, the best compliment that you can give Juventus is that the Italian media have started to refer them as Allegri's Juve again, uh, which means that, you know, they might not be pretty. Uh, they might not seem that they're in games or dominating games, but all of a sudden they just end up winning. Um, you know, they win tight games um, and they're right back into the, into the title mix uh, as well. Um, whether Pirlo has the talent as a coach uh, to carry them forward long term I'm not so sure but as long as you've got a player like Cristiano Ronaldo uh, up front then you're always going to have a chance in games you know a lot of coaches that have had Ronaldo before we spoke to Paul Clement for the website uh, a few weeks ago who had him he was assistant coach at Real Madrid and he said look when we had Ronaldo on the team we were starting every match 1-0 up and quite often 1-0 over two legs that's going to be enough to do it um so Ronaldo, he's the only guy who scored a, a knockout goal for Juventus since he joined the club, and that was in 2018, which is quite a phenomenal statistic. Um, he, a lot of the hopes will rest with him, uh, but they do have some talent elsewhere. Uh, I'll mention a couple of players. I'll mention Morata, uh, who obviously Chelsea fans will know, uh, who's done quite well for them, scored a few goals this season. But the other interesting one for them is is uh, the American player, Weston McKinney. Um Now, Juventus fans were, let's call them sceptical, about McKennie when he signed um, during the summer. He came from Schalke. And um, your average Juventus fan in the street wouldn't have known an awful lot about Schalke. Um, you know, they're bottom of the Bundesliga at the moment and probably going to get relegated. So to get a player from a from a club of little renown, really, within Germany in the last few years, they were thinking, well, hang on a second, who is this guy? But he's come into the team and he's hit the ground running and he's done really, really well for them, is what I'm going to, going to say. Um, so... And also, crucially for Juve, they've got Giorgio Chiellini back, too. And and there's been real improvement in the side. Um, I know he's 35-36 now, but there's been a massive improvement uh, in the side in the way they confront games uh, since Chiellini's come back in the lineup, too. So I just think they've got a the bit between their teeth now, Juve. And they're probably ready to take a next step. They'll probably make a late run for for the title. I still expect them to win the league in Italy. And uh, I, when it comes to the last knock-ins, quarter semi-finals, I think they'll be in the Champions League, too.
0: Fascinating stuff. Peter Saunton. thanks a million for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show and enjoy the Champions League fixtures.
1: You're welcome, Queevin, anytime.